Okay, we all ready? Well, let's put it this way. We're ready whether we're ready or not. All right, let's see. We got that on. That's that's ready. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Before you begin, is there anyone here that could possibly, when you're done, give me a ride home? Well, yeah. All right, well, let's bow our heads for prayer, shall we? Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity we have to come together and to study and to learn. Help us, dear God, to realize the times in which we live and what it will take to stand during this time. I know that uh, we shall see even um, more challenging times ahead. I only pray, dear God, that you will help us to take advantage of the opportunity that now lies at hand and to prepare. Forgive us of our sins and bless us this day. And we thank you for the freedom of worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, we're going to look here. Uh, I want to keep reading. I want to finish off this statement. Let me just listen to this. Uh, um, she says their views, talking about the Pilgrim Fathers, the founding fathers of America, the, the, the Puritans, as I say, the dissenters, also known as dissenters, the nonconformists. It's very interesting if you go back and study why they were given those names, dissenters, nonconformists. See, they wouldn't conform. James the first um, king of England, you know the king the, the King James King J- James <laughs> um, he didn't like him. he hated him as a matter of fact, he persecuted him um, and uh, but nonetheless, these people refused to conform. They said, no, we're just going to follow what the Word of the Lord says. We don't really want to conform to the Anglican Church or any church for that matter, that was, in their opinion or view, they, they felt contradicted the word of God. And so they were given labels like nonconformists, dissenters, um, and so forth. But the Puritans, another, that's a derogatory, really, it's a derogatory term, really. Puritan, pure, oh, you holy, holier than thou. There he is, Mr. Holy walking down the street. And that was a, they threw that at them. And they then took it upon themselves, okay, we'll, we'll take it as a badge of honor. And uh, Methodists, similar, I'm not saying that's who they were from, but I'm just using that example, method of, a method of religion. Um, and that's where they got it. It was a derogatory term. <clears throat> but their views found place in the Declaration of Independence. That statement alone should literally, I mean, that should just knock you over regarding the impact of the implication of what's in the Declaration of Independence. Because if you know anything about these people, You'll understand what that really means. And it's critical. And again, please, I beg of you, go back and read the original draft, Jefferson's draft. You can get it downloaded for free online. There you go. Um, found their views in the Declaration of Independence, which sets forth the great truth that all men are created equal and endowed with the inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the Constitution guarantees the people the right of self-government, providing that the represent, providing, providing, that's a key word there, providing that the representatives elected by the people uh, or by popular vote shall enact and administer the laws, which they don't do today. Oh, oh, and if they do, it's only to their convenience or they've got an ulterior motive. Okay? So they don't uh, do those things. Let's keep going here. Let's see. 
No. Yeah. Whoops. Whoops. Whoop. Yep. Okay. Freedom of religious faith was also granted. Uh, granted. Every uh, was also granted. Every man being permitted to worship God according to the dictates of his conscience. Now, see, see, that's what I'm, I was talking about this morning. That's what I'm talking about. According to your, not the government. Right. Government doesn't control your conscience. And our founding fathers put in these documents: Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. If you carefully read them, they put these principles in there to bolster up and uh, and and reinforce the idea. Your conscience, that's between, that's between you and God, not the church or the state. That, that's the realm they don't have. That's why I was telling you about Romans 13. Carefully examine that chapter. He defines the role and function of government. And he lays it out. Their role and function and sphere of authority only applies to the last six commandments. The reason the first four commandments are not mentioned in Romans 13 is because it doesn't belong to the jurisdiction of the state. That belongs to God. Remember, first four commandments is me and God. It goes this way. You understand? You're you're going, uh, 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 yes, vertical. And and the last six, you're going uh, horizontal. It's you and me. Yeah? But listen, in order to keep the last six correctly, you've got to keep the first four. You follow what I'm saying? So don't put the cart before the, uh, the horse. The, the, the first four commandments, that's, that's primary in terms of its order and, and, and origin. That's really what it comes down to. If you look at the first three commandments, how we worship God. La- the fourth commandment, when we worship God. The last six, how we love our neighbor. There you go. That's what it's dealing with. And so uh, the freedom of worship or freedom of religious faith was also granted every man being permitted uh, to worship God according to the dictates of his conscience. Republicanism and Protestantism became the fundamental principles of the nation. And again, I told you there's a difference between a theocratic system of government versus a Protestant republic. And that's what we were established as, a Protestant republic. In a theocracy, remember, a theocratic system existed in the Old Testament when the children of Israel... Um, you know, fell under that the, the the old system where remember God rules directly and and uh, and uh, and government carries out the dictates of God. Okay, it's a direct connection. So church and state are united. That's why I said if you break the Sabbath under the theocratic system, what was to happen to you? Put to death. Right, but that was a different type of situation because God was trying to teach the children of Israel how to come under his authority and under his form of, 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 uh, of lordship. So it's a different. We are a Protestant republic, okay? And if you understand republicanism and Protestantism, it's very interesting. Protestantism comes under the Tudor reign of the kings of England during the 16th century. Republicanism was born under the 17th century under the steward reigns of the kings of England. You got to. I know that. I know this is a history. I think, brother Ray, man, we, we got. Yeah, well, you know. So I'm sorry to tell you, you got to know some history. I'm sorry, but you got to know some history here. Amen. You're not going to understand why. Why were these documents written? Why were they? Why were they framed in such a way? 
Because you've got to understand, they already knew all that history. They didn't have to, you know, Ben Franklin didn't have to go to Thomas Jefferson and say, you ever heard of King James? Nah, Ben, I don't even know who he is. Who is he? Who, who's King James, Ben? They didn't have to say any of that. Today we got to talk. Do you know who King James is? Mm-hmm. No idea who he is. Who? King James. Who's he? What did he do? Is he still around? I mean, that's, that's what he just. So we're completely removed from, I'm sorry to say, listen, I wasn't raised a Christian, all right? So I don't know what your backgrounds were. But I wasn't raised a Christian, and I frankly failed just about every subject in school. It's a miracle. They, like, I, didn't, I never passed. They just pushed me through. Um, and there's a big difference. It wasn't until I became converted. Then I started loving history. And then I began to realize how important it is to read. And, you know, I'm serious. Well, if there's a gift, that, there's many beautiful gifts God gives us. No doubt. The greatest is his son. But I'm telling you, reading, whew, every day you should thank God. Thank you, Lord, that I can read. Thank you, Jesus. What a gift that I can, I can open a book and, and spend time reading, learning, educating, opening my mind. So Republicanism and Protestantism were born out of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, especially of the 16th and 17th century. It's critical that you study and understand that concept. Remember, under the 17th century, during, uh, the, excuse me, this, uh, yeah, 17th century, I'm sorry, 16th century, under the Tudor reigns, that's when Martin Luther stood up, you know, during that period, the 16th century, you know, and, and, and nailed the 95 Thesis and things of this nature. This was critical. And then the 17th century, that's when the Puritans rose up. Oliver Cromwell, the, the revolution the, of 1640, and then the 1680s, and so forth. So all of that comes in. So when you're reading this page, when you're reading this quotation, you, 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 you should, it would make, a, let's put it this, this statement makes a bigger impact on you when you know that history. Because now you understand the implications of what she's saying. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This has an enormous uh, in indication of what's, what's really going on. Republicanism and Protestantism became the fundamental principles of the nation. Okay, now listen. These principles are the secret to its power and prosperity. You know, oh, look, this is what's going on today. We are capitulating Protestantism and Republicanism. Don't you understand? We're capitulating. What is Protestantism? The fundamental, if, you, if you reduce it down, it's freedom of conscience. He just told you, freedom of religion, to worship God according to your dictates of your conscience. That's that's Protestantism. Don't you see? When they enacted these laws through the states and the counties and all against COVID, remember the COVID, right? All this against in terms of worship. Don't you understand what they just did? They violated Protestantism. They violated it. Now, what's Republicanism? What is it? It's self-governance. We just read that before. Republicanism is is you govern yourself. In other words, look, come on. You don't have a brain to make up your own mind. You don't have a, you know what I mean? You don't have the, the intelligence to say, I'll decide. You don't tell me what to do. You don't tell me. Now, see, I wouldn't have mind if the federal government or the state governments would have made recommendations and said, we'll leave it up to you to decide. Now, that's, that's understandable. I, I consider that a good, a, good, uh, a good way of governance. They're not mandating. They're not forcing you. They're saying, look, we've got an apparent crisis. We don't know what's going on but we're making the following recommendations. You might want to consider it. Okay, then the church would get together, and the church, either I think it should be in a business meeting, not in a church board. When it's this big of an issue, you don't have the board making the decision. You bring everybody. Amen. And you open it up to everybody and say, okay, 
we got a crisis. How are we in this church are going to deal with it? You understand? You don't leave it to a, a few people in the church to decide for the many. Not you bring everybody in, and and then you just you you make the, the following statements. So, okay, you know, we actually since we don't know, we're not sure. Then let's take the following steps, and you vote on it. That's all. And I, okay, but see, nobody's forcing your conscience now. You're that's something you're choosing to do. Now God can respect that. Amen. You understand? It can, even though you may not necessarily agree, you're doing it of your own free will. And there's a vast difference between something that's done of your own free will than being forced to do so, especially when it comes to a matter of worship and conscience. The realm of the church, this, the, the, this church building here, that does not belong to the county, doesn't belong to the township of Brooklyn, doesn't talk, belong to the, the, the governorship of the state of Ohio or, or, or any other jurisdiction within the state or, for that matter, federally. Uh, frankly, I'll, be, I'll take it a step further. Frankly, it doesn't even matter to the conference. I'm being, you know, if you want to go biblical, this is your decision. And so you worship here. This is your church. You decide how you're going to worship God. Nobody tells you or should. Again, recommendations, I don't have a problem with. You can recommend me to death, but don't tell me. There's a difference. Republicanism and Protestantism became the fundamental principles of the nation. These principles are the secret of its power and prosperity. By the way, when the United States capitulates those, it's over. It's finished. And I'm telling you, this is what scares me, what's been going on for over a year and still going on. And I told you, they're not going to let up. You've got to understand that. Stop this. Oh, the sunny days are coming. Yeah, well... You know, let me put it this way. By the grace of God Almighty, I qualify. By the grace of God Almighty, there'll be a sunny day. You understand? Let us pray and hope. But don't you, let's put it this way. It's just like going to Vegas. Don't put no money down. <laughs> uh, the oppressed and downtrodden throughout Christendom have turned to this land with interest and hope. Millions have sought its shores, and the United States has risen to a place among the most powerful nations of the earth. Great Controversy, page 440 and 441. And so you see really clearly the role and position of America. God raised up America for a divine purpose. It's the last bastion in the history of the human race where people can be free to worship God. And don't you see what's been happening over the last year and a half? Don't you understand? They have attacked directly. This is a direct attack on the concept of republicanism and Protestantism. They're coming after us. Now, it's in an indirect way. Yeah, there's people, I keep, I tell you, people say, it's not the, it's not the Sabbath. You shouldn't, don't make a big issue. You, it's, I told you, it's a prelude. Don't, can't you see? They're laying the groundwork. They're laying the groundwork. You know, I'm going to tell you something. For the Seventh-day Adventist church as a whole, it's too late to stand up when the Sunday laws come. And they say, oh, no, no, we can't comply. We can't comply because that's a violation of our First Amendment rights. And you know what the state governments are going to say? Oh, 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 time out here. Time out here. <laughs> You're going to sit there and now suggest to us that we don't have the prerogative to tell you how to worship God uh, or when to worship God when you capitulated to us how you will worship God? You already bequeathed to us that jurisdiction. Sorry, you don't have any right to speak out. Now, this is why you're going to find it's going to come down to this. It's going to be the individual having to have to stand perhaps all alone. 
I'm telling you, that's where it's going to come. And it's all getting orchestrated, pieces of the puzzle. Sister White has a very interesting statement. I love this statement. She says, uh, God is so arranging circumstances, she says, to bring us to the forefront. And what people have no idea, especially Seventh-day Adventists, they have no idea, is what God is doing is he's arranging everything. And here we are the reluctant servant. I hate the, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be doom and gloom, but I'm sorry, we are the reluctant servant. We're the kind of guy, you know, they keep, keep, I'm going, I'm, I'm going, I'm going. No, yeah, I'm, that's how we are as spiritually. I'm going, Jesus. I'm going, don't push. I'm going, Jesus. And God is now, what's he going to do? Listen, if you go back and study Old Testament history, and you talk about the Abrahamic covenant today, Sabbath school, I wanted to say a lot. Believe me. I thought, I'll take over the whole Sabbath school if I did. If you only understood what God was doing with Abraham initially, you'll understand the significance of what the covenant means to us today. You know, when God said, you brought this up about the land, the land, he said, I'm going to give you this land, Abraham. I'm going to give you this land. It's part of the covenant agreement. Okay? To literal Abraham, to a literal geographical location in terms of a a covenant relationship. When the Bible talks about the nation of Israel or the, the collective unit in the covenant, I'm not talking about later on. I'm talking about in the covenant relationship. God never intended that Israel should establish a nation, an earthly uh, nation like the nations of the world. Listen to me. They were never to be that way. In the covenant, you've got to understand, that nation was always to be spiritual. Go, now, I'll tell you how you know that. You go to Hebrews, and it speaks of Abraham, and you know what it says? He didn't have anywhere to live. Well, wait a minute. If he had nowhere to live, what, what happened to the land that God gave him? Now, listen to me. The land was an object lesson to teach them something about what was to be. In other words, Abraham was a sojourner looking for what? A builder and maker who's whose city is of God. In other words, who built the city of God. Now look, who is this? This is, this is talking about Jesus Christ, and he's talking about the city. He, he, the land he was looking for was a heavenly Canaan. The land on the earth was a type. He's saying, I'm just going to let you have this, not for permanent sake. That's why I don't want you to establish a government like all the other governments. That's why I'm going to rule over you. And I'm going to use this as a means by which you to catapult the gospel to all the world. What did they do? They took the spiritual covenant and turned it into a literal covenant. That's why they literally got circumcised to the point where they trusted in circumcision as a means by which to do what? To save themselves. He said, you be circumcised after the manner of Moses. What did Paul say? What was say in the book of Acts 15? You cannot be saved. That was what they were arguing. Everything that God intended to be spiritual, they took literal. And, uh, but look at the children of Israel. Every time God said, I want you to go give the gospel to the heathen nations, what did they do? They wouldn't go. They wouldn't go. And they kept compromising and compromising. So what did God do? He brought the, he brought the Syrians. He brought, he brought the Phoenicians. He brought the Palestinians, the, 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 um, the um, uh, Philistines. He brought the Egyptians. He brought this group, one after another. And you would think they would have learned their lesson. They didn't learn their lesson. God then brought, sent the Assyrians. He then sent the Babylonians. He then sent the Medo-Persians. He then sent the Greeks. He then sent the Romans. You think they'd still learn their lesson? No. Then he says, I'll send my son. Surely they're going to learn that. No. They said, let's kill him. 
Then he said, what happened? Then they sent the, pro- the apostles. And they said, well, hopefully, God willing, the last three and a half years, we'll hope maybe they'll get the lesson. No, they killed them, stoned them, did whatever they could to run them off. You really think we're any different? You don't really believe Seventh-day Adventists are any different, do you? You don't really believe somehow we're holy. Well, no, no. Thank God we're not like those Jews. Uh, listen, we're no different. Human nature, listen to me. Human nature is human nature. The only difference between our nature and their nature is that we're 2,000 years more corrupt. That's the only difference. That's the only difference between us and the apostles. Do you understand that? We're just 2,000 years more corrupt than these people. And if you want to go all the way back to Abraham, we're 5,000 years more corrupt. Now listen to me. Sister White says God is going to so arrange circumstances to bring us to the forefront, which implies we don't want to go. He's going to force it. That's why she says in Testimonies, Volume 5, what we fail to do in a time of peace and prosperity, we'll have to do it in the most forbidding and discouraging circumstances, which means we don't want to do it when everything is okay. So God's going to say, okay, okay, you're the stubborn mule. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to force you to do it. And I'm going to do it in such a way, I'm going to arrange circumstances, I'm going to put you in the center stage. You see, right now, COVID is the center stage. He's the star and the vaccine. Soon we're going to take that place. And everybody in the world is going to talk about Seventh-day Adventists. Everybody. Who are these people? What, what are you, a bunch of crackpot nutjobs? Who were you? Oh, you were the people that wouldn't conform. That's right. Y'all wouldn't go along with the mask mandate or whatever, vaccine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, just a footnote because I want to put my two cents in because I got to warn you. I feel consciously I have to do this. Don't get that vaccine. You do whatever you want, but I gave you a warning. All you got to do is look up the dangers of mRNA vaccines. Just a footnote. I'm just letting you know because I'll tell you what. You know it's never been done on human beings ever. No, not until 2023. Will they have these missiles? That's it. Thank you, darling. <laughs> it's science. Look, and you want to talk about science. That's science. It's fa- that's not. That's a factual. Fa- and this is what gets me. This is what gets me. Well, don't don't get me started. All right, let's go on. Let's go on. We've got to keep reading here. Listen, the Lord has done more for the United States than any other country upon which the sun shines. Yes. Here, he provided an asylum for his people where they could worship according to the dictates of, con- uh, of the conscience. Again, time and time again, you find in her statements the idea of the con- America, if you look at her writings, relation to America, to liberty of conscience, it's always tied in. You know, that's why I read earlier today, Revelation 13, America will speak as a dragon. Why? Because she's changing. She's not, she, don't, she doesn't believe in this anymore. And since a year and a half or so, listen, you've got to realize, she's openly, openly stated that's precisely what she doesn't believe. She no longer believes in freedom of conscience. For if she did, she would have never mandated you can't go to church. Amen. She would have never done it. She would have said, no, we can't do that. And let me tell you, I told you this before, and I'm going to say it again. This crisis we're now in was planned years ago. Years. Long before Trump got into office. Long before they got into office. All you have to do is search out. Again, don't use Google. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, don't do it. Go to DuckDuck or some of these other search engines and start doing some research and you will see speeches made by Fauci and others back 2012, 2008, and before, and they're talking about COVID and crises, vaccines, all this kind of stuff. 
Now, don't, don't, you know, look, all I'm trying to say is, dear friends, this wasn't an accident. It was all planned. And if you think it was an accident, I'm telling you, you're living in another world. You truly are. Look, this country was built for the very divine purpose of God so that he could, get, we, we, he could guarantee to us, in other words, God would provide a haven for us to worship him according to the dictates of our conscience. That is now directly under threat. And what scares me, again, I, I keep uh, beating this, but I'm sorry, but what scares me is the Seventh-day Adventist church, not, not as a whole, there are, there are exceptions, there are good God-fearing pastors, leaders and divisions, unions and conferences and throughout the United States and around the world, there are good godly people on all levels. But what scares me is that as a, as a whole, we're, we've capitulated, we're saying nothing. And that scares me. It, the, the minimum we should have done, the minimum we should have done is, is said, look, uh, we feel that there needs to be more research into this. Uh, we will maybe comply with certain mandates, uh, but, but uh, ultimately in the end, we feel that this will be the more fitting way to go approach uh, how we're going to do it. We didn't even re- give a, a counteroffer. We didn't even counteroffer. We just simply folded. Yeah. I mean, you, know, you, you make a lousy poker player, I can tell you that. So, uh, and it shines. Here he provided a sign for his people where they can work according to dictates of conscience. Here Christianity has progressed in its purity. The life-giving doctrine of one mediator between God and man. Now this again, now this, listen to that. This is the doctrine that has prospered for so long in this country. There's one mediator between God and man. Well, guess what Caesar just did? Stepped in between you and Jesus and told you, uh, six feet. No, no. Six, that's, I'm not a suggestion. I'm the state, darling. Move over. <laughs> yeah, and they meant it. And they knew me. And some places I've told you, they've arrested pastors. They've arrested congregations. Yeah. They've fined them yeah. in Canada. Do you know this? And by the way, this is all over the world. That tells you it's been planned. Yeah. Listen to me. Let me tell you what. In Canada, they got churches that have to go underground now. In Canada. Churches going underground because they're arresting them. You should see in one case, one video, I saw this video, where they, 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 the police department came in and they barricaded the entire church. They put a steel linked fence all the way around. You couldn't get in or out. This is Canada. In Australia, you go to Australia, it's even worse. It's a lot worse in Australia. I'm not kidding. They've got curfews. They're locking people down. You can't leave without a permission. I'm, I got to go to the doctors. You got to get permission to go to the doctors. It's unbelievable. And on and on it goes. In England now, and here it's coming here. You don't think it's not. They've already been talking about it in certain places. The country's already been implemented. COVID passes. You can't buy or sell. Now, it's not the mark of the beast. People keep, that's another, oh, it's not the mark of the beast, Brother Ray. It's not the mark of the beast. You don't understand. That's how they condition you for the mark of the beast. That's where it all begins. That's what I'm trying to, I've been screaming for the last year and a half. And very few Adventists want to hear. I've been, you know what, I'll tell you what else is scaring me. Look, I've been in this work for over 30, nearly 35, actually maybe longer than that, 30-something, 37 years, whatever longer. I'm 60 years old. I've preached with Ron Spear, Colin Stannis, Joe Cruz, uh, the Gross Bulls, uh, the, the, um, Austin Cook, uh, Russell, um, I, I, and, and the list goes on. I preach with some of the, and Ron Spears, I say, I preach with some of the biggest heavy hitters in Seventh-day Adventist Church. 
I've traveled the world with these men. Now, they're no longer here. They're gone. But I can tell you this right now. If you think I'm laying the axe down, these boys would have knocked you over. They would have bowled you. Trust me, I'm telling you now. I knew those boys, and I'm telling you, they would have come down so heavy, it would have woken up the dead. Because here's what's bothering me, is people that have been in the faith, that I, you know, people that I knew and know and never, and it's just silence. And I'm like, man, how can you be silent during a time like this? Don't you see what's coming? Can't you realize what's, you're, you're, slowly we're being molded, slowly conformed, slowly brought into position. Because the executioner knows what's coming. When he lays that ax down, he's going to make sure your head's under it. And sadly, a lot of people are going to volunteer. No problem. No problem. Go ahead and put it off. And that's what the problem is. Seventh-day Adventists have lost, not in all cases, but there is a, the will to fight for freedom. And I'm not talking getting in the streets like these Black Lives Matter or, or, or um, Antifa. Listen, you don't bur- listen, burn down houses. Burn, and, and by the way, you want to do an interesting study about Black Lives Matter and Antifa? Study the communities they burn down. You know who they're burning down? Not white communities. It's the black communities. It's the minority communities. They're burning them down. Hmm. I wonder who wants to destroy the minority communities. Hmm. It ain't about black lives. And as for Seventh-day Adventists, I'm going to come down now. For Seventh-day Adventists, any Seventh-day Adventist who sides with black lives matters is, is absolutely have lost their spirituality. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Uh, the Bible teaches me this in, Gen- in, in, in John three sixteen: All lives matter. Now, we sing to children, whether yellow, black, or uh, red, or white, they're all precious in Jesus' sight. Now, don't we sing that to the children? Yet, when we become adults, it's all of a sudden, no, nah, only one group matters. It kind of reminds me, I'll tell you, to be honest, you know what it reminds me of, to be honest with you? You ever study Calvinism? You ever study hyper-Calvinism? Hyper-Calvinism is the concept where God preordained all things to be so because his will is sovereign. In other words, he's so sovereign that everything is done according to the will of God. Nothing is done outside the will of God. Therefore, when a man is lost, he's lost because God willed it to be so. So God chooses some to be saved and some to be lost. You see? So in other words, God says, I like you. I'm going to save you. Sorry, darling. You got to go. Now, that's arbitrary salvation. You know, God simply arbitrarily just picking and choosing according to the sovereignty of his will. See, and that's what, that's what some people are into. Oh, this life matters. Now, as a Christian, everybody matters. Everybody's life. And by the way, I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to even go further. Gay people matter. I didn't say being homosexual matters. I said gay people matter. They all matter to the eyes of God. All of humanity matters to God. We have a responsibility to share the gospel to tell them to repent. And as I said, what frustrates me again is the opportunity we, we, we let pass by. Imagine how many campaigns we could have held, evangelistic crusades, in the last year and a half. Imagine, I guarantee you, this place would have been packed, packed jammed, packed jammed. But we missed the opportunity. And there's nobody to blame. Nobody to blame. Well, let's keep going on. Um, God, God designed that this country should ever remain free for all people to worship him according to the dictates of his conscience. So what is God's design for this country? She just tells you to worship him freely. 
Oh, and what's happening? There's an encroachment upon that very thing by the federal government, by the state governments. What did I tell you America was going to do? Revelation 13. What did I say? What did we read? America will speak as a dragon. You are witnessing for the last year the federal government, state governments particularly, speaking out as a dragon. They're coming directly for worship. It's direct. Now, it's not when. I told you that. It's not when to worship. It's all about how you worship. Okay? She goes on to say, he designed that the, its civil institutions and their expansive production should represent the freedom of gospel privileges. In other words, the federal government, state government, county governments, and all the institutions that go along with that are to reflect the gospel privileges of what? Freedom, individual liberty. But they're not doing that anymore. Rare, it's rare now you get a governor or a state legislature or someone in government standing up for the rights of the people, a mayor saying, no, we're not letting that happen. I'm not letting that happen in this city. We're not going to let this take place. This is a violation of the rights of all mankind. You've got few people in government doing that. It's telling, that's bad news. That's real bad news. Darling, they're going to keep their jobs, but they're going to lose their souls too. She says, but the enemy of all righteousness has designed. Now listen, the enemy of all righteousness, who's that? Satan has designs upon God's purpose for this country. God has a design, but so does Satan. He will, this is Satan, bring in enterprises that will lead men to forget that there is a God. Worldliness and covetousness, which is idolatry, will prevail through the working of the arch deceiver till the law of God in all its bearings shall be made void. Notice, the law of God doesn't just, a violation of the void of the law of God doesn't just happen. Read that carefully. There's a progression. He begins, Satan, he begins by doing certain things slowly, surely, until he reaches the ultimate goal, and that is to make void the law of God in this land. So that tells you, that tells you there's a direct correlation to what's happening now to then. This whole thing was orchestrated to bring about the desired effect that Satan wants. And that is to make void the law of God. Look, it was brought out in Sabbath school. Um, at least I think I remember Sabbath school about the Sabbath. And uh, how that the Sabbath is really, uh, someone brought it up about the forehead, the mark on the forehead. Um, how it's a, really a talking about character. And, uh, and what you've got to see here, dear friends, look, character is not developed in a day, in a moment. It's, 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 yeah, it's a lifetime. You've got to develop character in a lifetime. And that's why you've got to realize that, the, 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 look, the decisions you make today determine the outcome of what you will do tomorrow. I've told you that time and time again. I keep preaching that. And I've been preaching it for decades. I've been telling people that you've got to realize the decisions we are making are today determine what's going to happen tomorrow with us. And I'm talking our relationship and our life. Look, if today you refuse to pray, you think you're going to have an easier time tomorrow? You follow what I'm saying? If today you refuse to read your Bible, you think tomorrow it'll be easier to read your Bible? And if you continue to cultivate that habit, what will inevitably happen? You will no longer read, nor, nor will you ever worship God again. In other words, you'll abandon God altogether. So the decisions you make today determine what will come tomorrow. And it doesn't mean that the decision you make today, to do, uh, take today somehow uh, precludes what, will, uh, what you will do tomorrow. It's, it's that it paves the way. You see, it's preparing you. 
And so by making the choice today determines what you're going to do tomorrow because it's paving the way. And that's what people have got to come to grips with. Do you think that the parable of the ten virgins, the five foolish, the five wise, do you think the five foolish just all of a sudden stopped their relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you think it just happened? No, it just didn't happen. It gradually, slowly, until they faded into, into a point of indolence, a state of indolence. They just said, well... I go, they, they went to church, by the way. They were Sabbath keepers. They went to church. They Sabbath keepers. They were tithe prayers. They went and sang their hymns. They did all these things. But you see, the problem was this, dear friends. They, they lost that vital connection. And when we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Spirit of Prophecy talks about this. Let's bring it down to practical terms because too often that phrase is being used or bantered around and we don't get down to practicality. What does it mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? It means you have an experience with him from day to day in your life. And you don't have to go to the outposts of Africa or maybe in the, in the Middle East or, or in, in Asia or some far-off country in the jungle somewhere. You don't have to do that to have an experience of God. You could be a homemaker. You could, you could be someone doing the littlest things in life that you would consider little and still have an ex- a vibrant experience with Jesus Christ in your life. Listen to me. Every day you should be having an experience with God. Every day you should have some experience by which you, you, you learn and grow in Christ. And by having that experience, that experience constitutes a personal relationship with God. If you're not experiencing God in your life, you don't have a personal experience with Christ. Amen. You don't have it. Amen. And the five foolish stop having an experience. And so what happened? The crisis came, and they were counting then on previous experiences. The problem is the experience you had yesterday is not sufficient for today. That's why Paul said, I die daily. Every day you've got to decide, I'm going to have an experience with God every moment of the day. And through that experience, what am I doing? I'm gaining ground. I'm, the Holy Spirit is working on me molding me, fashioning me, and developing character. What do you think the Holy Spirit represents in the parable? The oil represents the workings of the Holy Spirit in the life of the individual that is experiencing the work of God in their life. And the five wise, they continue to have that experience. Until the law of God and all its bearings shall be made void. That's where we're headed. And that's where it's going. People better come to grips with it. She says, the lamb-like horns and dragon voice of the symbol point to a striking contradiction between the professions and practice of the nation thus represented. The speaking of the nation is an act of its legislative and judicial authorities. By such action, it will give the lie to those liberal and peaceful policy principles which it has put forth as the foundation of its policies. Of course, those liberal and peaceful policy or principles are republicanism and Protestantism. So they're going to flip the, the, the script on that. They're going to contradict it through legislative and judicial means. Okay? She goes on to say, the prediction uh, uh, that it will speak as a dragon and exercise all the power of the first beast plainly foretells the development of the spirit of intolerance and persecution that was manifested by the nations represented by the dragon and lamb-like beast. And the statement that the beast with two horns causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast indicates that the authority of this nation is to be exercised in enforcing some observance which shall be in an act of homage to the papacy. That's Sunday observance. But remember, it all begins by 
slowly, gradually developing the theory of violating the conscience and individual freedoms of the, uh, of the people in the, in the country. Slowly, surely. What's, again, it's drifting in that direction. You're slowly heading in that direction. That's why when I read these statements and I try to share it with people, they've got to be able to see what this is all about, where we're going. Remember, look, dear friends, we often see things from an earthly perspective. You understand? We see things as we, as we project them or maybe understand them to be. But we've got to see a bigger picture. This is a controversy between Christ and Satan. God has a divine plan for us. Satan has a plan for us. And he tell you what, dear friends, one of those two are going to rule our lives supremely. One of those two, it's up to you to decide what I'm trying to be, been telling people and I've been begging them to see in the last year and a half is that the groundwork is being laid. Satan is preparing for his move and I'm telling you, I don't know how long we have and I'm not here. Don't ever put dates on anything, these kind of things. Don't get, get away from those kind of things. They're not going to solve a thing. They're only going to cause you more problems. But I'm telling you though, whether it's a year from now, 10 years from now, I don't care. The groundwork is now laid. And we've already, as a society, acquiesced the authority of the, to the, our conscience to the state. That's what we did. We said, okay, you can control how we can worship God. We'll let you into the church. You have jurisdiction. Few churches stood up, few, across this country. When the entire Protestant church and Catholics, well, every church should have stood up and said, even Muslims, the mosques, all of them should have said no. Yeah. Nope, you're not doing that. That just shows you where we are. That's the temperature, you understand? That's where we are. And all you got to do is look at us as a people, Seventh-day Adventist Church. Look what happened. Look what they did. Nothing. And that tells you the temperature of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You understand? It tells you the temperature. We are deeply entrenched in a lukewarm condition. And you know the tragedy with Laodicea? You go back and study it very carefully. You You know what it is? They don't know their true condition. That's the tragedy. They don't know it. All right, let's go on. We see that efforts are being made to restrict our religious liberties. I want to ask, are you awake to this matter? Do you realize that the night cometh when no man can work? Have you had the intensity of zeal and the piety devotion which will enable you to stand when opposition is brought upon you? Look, now this is very, now this of course is directly referring to the Sunday law issue, but I'm going to tell you the principles still remain the same. We've already had a direct attack upon our religious liberties. And yet, very little uproar. It does not seem possible to us now that any should have to stand alone. But if God has ever spoken by me, the time will come when we shall be brought before the councils and before thousands of the, for his namesake, and each one will have to give a reason of his faith. And I'll tell you what, dear friends, then you're going to find out what you really believe. So I can tell you that right now. You're going to find out. I don't care what you think you know. I'm telling you, when the rubber hits the road, you're going to find out how much tread you got on your wheels. She says, then, then will come the severest criticisms upon every position that has been taken for truth. And let me tell you something right now. It's one thing, and I've done enough evangelism around this world. I have been challenged by it. I don't know how many people all, from all kinds of faith. And I've been from, from avowed Satanists, from Baptists, Presbyterian, Episcopalians, you name them, I've been attacked. And I tell you, you gotta know what you, you gotta know what you're talking about, or you're gonna look pretty dumb in front of that audience when you do an evangelistic campaign. Because some of them, I'll tell you, they don't respect the, 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 the uh, well, they don't, they don't care if there are rules of etiquette. 
If they don't like you, they're going to stand right up, right in the middle of your sermon and, and gun for you right then and there. They'll go for you. They don't care. And I've had it time and time again. Having said that, I can tell you this, right? That's nothing compared to what's coming. The severest criticism, they're going to rip your position to shreds, and they're going to see if you can put it back together. And I'm going to tell you, you better know why you believe what you believe. She says, um, we need then to study the word of God, that we may know why we believe the doctrines we advocate. We must critically search the living oracles of Jehovah. We need now to pray for strength from heaven to press back at this movement that is being made in our country. And we should do everything in our part to preserve our liberties and our right to worship God according to dictates of our own conscience. Let me tell you something. This, this is another position I want to hit. Several times she makes this statement. And I'm fed up with Adventists who sit there and say, well, you know, it's the old, uh, you know, it's the song. Okay, sirrah, sirrah, what will be, will be. There's nothing you can do. God prophesied of it. We just got to let it happen. That's not what we're told. Jesus said, occupy till I come. You know what that means? Occupy doesn't mean sit your carcass down on a chair all day long in front of the television and do nothing when the world is perishing. It means you have a moral obligation. Occupy till I come. Fight for your freedoms. Stand up and and be heard. This is insane. Seven death. Well, nothing you can do. It's going to happen. Just, you know, come Lord Jesus. Hey, he gave you a responsibility. And if it means we got to go to the state legislature and protest and stand in front of the state legislature, then do it peaceably, of course. But do it if that's what you have to do. If you got to write a letter to your congressman, write a letter to your governor, write a letter to your senator, whatever it takes, do it. Fight for freedom because freedom is worth fighting for. Tell me, dear friends, tell me if freedom isn't worth fighting for, freedom of liberty of conscience. You tell me then. Go ahead, I want to hear what what, what something is worth fighting for. What, your job, raise, pay? Is that what it is that's worth fighting for? I'll come down and protest in front of your business because they won't give you a $5 raise. That's what you want me to do for you? But freedom of conscience isn't worth fighting for, defending? We're, we're supposed to defend it. And this is why I despise and, 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 and have a disdain for the Religious Liberty Department. This crisis was a direct attack upon our religious freedom. And you know what they did? Nothing. Folded their hands and surrendered. So, and actually, they said, you should do it. <clears throat> she says, you're not to just sit there and do nothing. You're to fight for freedom because freedom is worth fighting for. And again, when I say fight, I'm not talking physical because we don't fight flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, remember, we don't fight against flesh and blood. Ours is a spiritual warfare. But don't tell me it's not worth fighting for. For example, if I were a member of this church, I'll just pick a hypothetical. That way I don't get anybody and nobody's in trouble. But if I were a member of a particular church and that church decided to comply with the mandates that, that were required by the government, uh, I would feel it's my obligation to stand up and say, time out. Ladies and gentlemen, it's, uh, I want you to understand my position because I have a, 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 not only a God-given right, but I think it's my responsibility to tell you what I perceive to be the issues and then lay them out to you. Now, what you do after that is up to you. I've cleared my conscience. Let me tell you one thing I do when I'm, I, I get done preaching. I'm going to tell you this by the grace of God. Not that I've always done it the right way, but I do everything I can to make sure when I'm done, your blood isn't on me. Yeah. 
You know, that's your choice from that point forward. What you want to do, that's nothing I can do about. All right? But one thing is for sure, I will tell you, and I don't need your, your votes. I'm not running for office. <coughs> Has the Protestant world uh, stopped to look back at us? Now, this is a very interesting statement. She's, this, is a, this is a very interesting statement regarding haven't we realized what we're paid before? The people who died before. Don't we realize the suffering that we're free because of what happened before? See, this is what gets me. Is we want everybody to fight our causes, but we don't want to fight for anybody else's that has the same equal impact that we want for others regarding ours. We don't want it. No, I, well, I'm not fighting. No, you fight my cause. You, you die. You know, we, we praise the Waldensians, the Huguenots, the Albigenses, the Picards, the Paulians. We praise John Wycliffe and Huss and Jerome and, and Calvin and Knox and Luther. And the list goes on. We are hairy. They're great. Yeah, they're fantastic. But when God calls upon us to do it, mm, uh, nah, I don't think so. Nah, I don't, nah that's, not, that's not me. Hold up here. The very principles that our Protestant forefathers died and suffered for are the very principles that we should be fighting for today because the same issues is at stake. Why do you think the Great Controversy, the book Great Controversy, why do you think three-fourths of that book is history? Did you ever dawn on you? Did it ever kind of dawn on you that because the three-quarters of the book is history is because it's all going to come back again? Don't you realize what it's about? It's all going to come back. The whole thing, you think. Yeah, I've, I've often thought prior, many years ago, when I first read about Martin Luther nailing the 95 Thesis or some historical event was, was you know, phenomenal. John Huss before the Council of Constance. I would have thought, boy, I would have loved to have been there and I witnessed to see that. Man, what I would have loved to have heard Luther's sermon or something like, of that nature. And one day while I was sitting there studying and praying and thinking about some historical event, and I was thinking of the same thing. Oh, boy. And all of a sudden God dawned, he just, you know, God's got a nice way of tapping you and at the same time chastising you. And he, just, he said, oh, oh, Ray, you don't understand. <laughs> you are going to fight that battle all over again. You don't understand why I recorded it in the pen of inspiration in the spirit of prophecy. is because I'm trying to tell you people, you're going to have to fight the battle that Huss fought and that Jerome fought, and that the Waldensians fought, and that the Huguenots fought, and that Calvin, Knox, and Zwingli, and everybody else fought. There's those same battles, the same struggle for freedom and conscience and liberty, you're going to fight the same battles, except yours are going to be so intense, it's going to be worse than it's ever have been in the history of mankind, so much so that Jesus said he'll have to shorten the days because the bloodbath will be so great. That's how intense... And if you think that's bad, you want to compare it? Study the Inquisition. That's nothing compared to what's coming. Uh, uh, God seemed right to them. Can they, now, can they not uh, see how the Roman church has exercised its revengeful and cruel power? Those who would not bow to her mandates had to endure the prison, the stake, the torture, the death. Now think about what they were willing to put up with. And we, we, we're, we fold it up because I've heard a pastor say, I heard, well, we're going to get fined. They, they went on the rack. And let me tell you, I, I've had many privileges throughout my uh, experiences as, as a speaker. I've traveled all over the world with, as I say, the Standish boys and others. And one time we were traveling through Prague, 
and we went to John Huss's church, and we went and visited other places around. And there was a, we walked past this building, and there was a big, uh, um, I don't know, painting or poster or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was of a cup, a communion cup. And it was just the cup. And we walked past it, and they said, well, man, that's kind of a strange. Why would they have the communion cup on a wall on a building? And they told us the story. And that basically what it came down was this. And that was a reminder of those during the Hussite days who suffered and died for their faith because they believed that when Jesus said, uh, drink this cup, all, ye, all of it, all of ye, they meant, uh, they understood it to mean everybody is to partake of the wine or the grape juice uh, in the church. Remember, the Catholic Church said only who? Only the priests, not the laity. The priests can only drink the wine. And the Hussites said, no, Jesus said everybody's to drink of it. And these people died, died just so they can have communion. Now, I want you to think about that. They died, they gave up their life so that they could have communion. Now, I'm telling you, I'm sorry. Very few Seventh-day Adventists have the backbone to stand up. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 being, I'm being straight with you. I'm sorry, but I've got to be honest with you. Because we folded up like a piece of paper when this crisis came. And I think it caught us so off guard. I, 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 I know at, and in the early stages, I, I, I thought, man, what the heck is going on here? I mean, I knew viruses. We've always had there's always a virus every year. I mean, let's cut, let's cut it to the chase. So I'm thinking to myself, but when they dragged it on and on, and then they started making ridiculous mandates, particularly the church. That woke me up when they started saying, you can't have church. That hit me like a thunderbolt out of heaven. And I knew right then and there, ah, we got something sinister here now. This is not a virus. This is more than a virus. This is much, much more. Have we forgotten the price they pay? We won't even pay a fine. We're afraid to pay a fine. They were willing to give up their life. I'm going to tell you, the day is coming. We're going to have to sacrifice our life, our homes, our jobs, everything we have. Sister White says, and actually, I, I got it in these statements here. I'm not, I don't have time to read it. You know what Sister White says? You should prepare yourself, listen, to be arrested. Did you ever read that? You should read that in the spirit of prophecy. She says, prepare yourself to be arrested. You understand what that means, don't you? Let me put it to you this way. Let's say I, I'm going to take you on a trip. Okay, we're going to go on a trip. Okay, I'm going to say, hey, everybody, call in my van, take a trip. Listen to me. From that time I gave you that invitation till the time we take the trip, you know what you should do? Prepare yourself to take a trip. Sister White says, prepare yourself to be arrested. Do you understand? Mentally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and every other way, you better prepare yourself for what's coming. Because you are, if you're faithful to Jesus, if you're alive at that time, you are going to be imprisoned. Imprisoned. And no, it's not going to be a nice place. You know, it's not like you could say, but warden, warden, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and uh, I, I like to have a vegetarian meal. The warden, you know what he's going to say to you at that time? Tough. I don't care if you're a Seventh-day Adventist. <coughs> and, and you watch, dear friends, you watch what's going to happen. She says, 
those who would not bow to her mandates and had endured the prison, the stake, the torture, the death. And when those who's, who were swept away, who would not bow their conscience to any but God of heaven, others would spring up to fill their ranks and lift the standard of religious liberty and right. One time in France, we were driving down this country road. We went through this little village, and there was this monument in this village, and the people were taking us around that stopped at this monument. They said, I want to show you something. So we went in, and we went uh, to this uh, monument, looked around, because it was all in French. I couldn't read it, but the translator, the translator uh, tr- translated it for us. And what it was, it was a monument to the Huguenots who had suffered and died in that village. <clears throat> there was about, I think, 50 of them who died. And, uh, and uh, they, they were killed, I don't know, burned to the stake. I don't remember exactly how they did it, but they executed these 50 people. What's interesting, on that plaque, in terms of that monument, it said the very same thing I just read to you, that from among the 50 rose up literally hundreds of more, so much so they couldn't, they couldn't fight them all because so many sprang up from them. And uh, what we don't understand is this. Did you ever think that your life was created by God so that you could give your life that others may come and hear the gospel truth? Did you ever think about that? Now, I know that sounds kind of like, boy, that's kind of a little depressing. I've got to give up my life. But, but, but you've got to understand, God has a divine purpose for you and me. And it's not all peaches and cream. Look, people have no problem with, with Jesus as their Savior. They don't have a problem with that. They don't have a problem with that. That sounds good. That's lovely. What they don't like is Jesus is Lord. That's where they have the problem. Why do you think there are many hypocrites in the church? It has nothing to do with Jesus as their Savior. It has to do with Jesus being Lord of their life. They don't want that. Here's the problem with most, pe- most Christians. <clears throat> they want the crown, but they don't want the cross. And you've got to understand, some of us, some of us, like many of the Waldensians, many of the people here, the Huguenots and others that we, we, we talk about, God and they didn't know it at the time. They had no, you know, they didn't know, but they didn't realize that their life was going to be used by the Lord for more glorious means. Now, I can't explain why God allows it. I'm not God. And please don't come to me and ask me, why do you think God did it? He is God. He is wiser than us all. He has a divine purpose. I don't know. Did you ever think that possibly that you might be the only one through the means with which you suffer to bring someone to Jesus Christ and it happened to be at that very moment in time that there would be no other way to save that soul? Would it be then worth it? You get the crown of life and that person gets the crown of life? What do you think the grand reunion will be like when that person comes and sees you and thanks you, thanks you, and bows, not that they're worshiping you, but you can better believe, I can tell you this, a lot of people in heaven are going to bow down on their knees and hug the person that led them to Jesus Christ. You can better believe that one. They're going to embrace him with gratitude, the likes of which they can never happen. I, I imagine. I can tell you, dear friend, we don't know what it's like because we have no way in which, in which to measure heaven. What is he- heaven? Heaven right now to us is what we experience in the little things of, of God. But remember what Paul says. That's a down payment. That's an earnest. That's a little down payment. We don't know what it's like. Have no fathom, no idea of what it's like to live forever. I mean, imagine, dear friends, getting to heaven and 100 billion trillion years go by and you've just started living. Another 100 billion trillion years go by and you've just started living. 
Another hundred billion trillion years go by and you just started living. Another hundred billion trillion years go by and you just started living. Well, it doesn't, doesn't, I can't, I can't, it doesn't register me at all. At all. They say heaven, the throne of God, is the center of the universe. Right? That's what you hear. It's the center of the universe. And it may well be that, I would assume that would be the case. Now, according to the spirit of prophecy, early writings take seven days from this earth to get to that. Now, I want you to think about that. Seven days. That's faster than light traveling. How fast, then, could it possibly be? In other words, when you think about how fast that is, that's, that's something I can't think. I can't register that. It doesn't make sense. Imagine passing galaxy after galaxy. Galaxy after galaxy, thousands upon thousands of galaxies. And remember, in those galaxies are worlds, are inhabited beings. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. We've forgotten those who have suffered in the past. That's why. Now this nation, the greatest nation on earth, under whose government we are blessed in every religious temporal advantage, which has been the recipient of unrivaled mercies, which providence has watched over and shielded, by which the standard of liberty and religious freedom has been lifted. Will it follow the course of the papacy and make void God's law? Shall we sit, now here we go again, shall we sit with folded hands and do nothing in this crisis? See, that's what bothers me. That's another, that's, uh, no, just sit back. No, no, we have no responsibility. Let me tell you, I'm sorry. You do have a responsibility, and you should speak up. And I mean, I'm not kidding. You should voice your opinions. You should stand up. And I'll be belligerent, rude, obnoxious. I'm not talking about that. But you should be forthright in defending freedom, civil and religious. Look, let me ask you something. I would like to think if you saw someone in the street being brutally mistreated, I mean brutally mistreated, I'd like to think you would do something about it. I would like to think all of us would do something. Now look, I told you, this crisis is nothing more than a prelude. It's an opening of the door. It's where it's going. And that's the real danger. And this, as I say, what scares me, very few see it. Very few. They can't see it. They can't, they're not blowing the trumpet a certain sound. I, you know what I've done since this crisis? I, my sermon, one after the other, is warning the people. England, I, I can't, of course, I can't travel. Um, they're, they're, that's another problem. <clears throat> and, uh, but, uh, but the point is, through Zoom, I do Zoom meetings. Maybe some of you get tapped on and seen them. But whatever I'm preaching, no matter what I'm doing, I am preaching these kinds of sermons. I'm warning the people. I'm telling them, look, wake up. Wake up. Okay? Wake up, dear friends. We're here. It's not a matter of what we think. You know, it's funny. I've been an Adventist for 40 years. 40 years of Seventh-day Adventist. And I've heard people tell me when I first came in, and I even myself said it. Oh, Sunday laws are coming. It's, it's all going to happen. It's going to come down the pike. And now here we have the prelude to what's coming. And you know what? Mm, mm, mm. I don't know. Sure is a nice day out there. That's all I'm getting. I'm not kidding. I'm getting that time and time. I'm thinking, you mean to tell me you can't see it? Are you telling me you can't perceive it? 
Are you telling me you don't know? You're telling me you can't use your mind and think for yourself? Are you now incapable of, of understanding the real issues? Is that what you're telling me? Because if we've reached the point after having been so long in the faith that you are incapable of understanding the issues of the day, I'm telling you, you know nothing of what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist. Nothing, zero. We are at a crisis a crossroad and a crisis is before us and we have relegated ourselves into absolute complacency. We've just simply folded up. Very few, thank God, at least there's some, thank God. And thank God you guys took a stand early on. Thank God. I'm not kidding. I'm not trying to lift anybody up here. That's not my point. But thank God somebody had enough common sense and said, ho, 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 slow this horse down. There's a crisis coming, and we got to prepare. And I'm telling you now, I believe, I'm, 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 I'm so thankful. I've, I've been thanking God for this crisis in one way, and I'll tell you why. Because it has opened my eyes more than I've ever had it been before to realize now you can start to visualize, and I say this spiritually speaking now, listen, how it can happen. Don't you see? Because I've often won, I'm sure we've all... You read Revelation 13, read Great Conover, and you think, man, I wonder how that's actually going to come out. I mean, I know how they did it in the past, the, the Waldensians and other, you know, I know certain, but I just want to, and now you can start to see. Bring a crisis, make it a health crisis, scare the people to death, bring fear, 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 fear on them to conform, conform, conform until everybody falls in line. And then the little people who dissent, who still are dissenting, round them up and haul them out. You can see it. You can see it. And they've already said, I'm telling you, it's in their speeches, it's in their recordings. They, They said another one's coming, and it's going to be worse than this. Make of it what you will. All I know is Jesus is coming. Now, I don't know the day or the hour, but I'll tell you this. Not a doubt in my mind, he's coming. And we better get ready. And let me tell you something, friends. You got any sins in your life you need to rectify between God and man, you better get it done now. Listen to me. I'm not sitting there suggesting uh, that you, um, um, well, let me put it, let me say this. If, you, if there's something standing between you and God or, or you and another person, uh, even if you seem to think that you may not be necessarily wrong, I just at least, would at least clear the air. I'm not kidding. I'd get it off my conscience. I would at least, even if I have to eat humble pie for no reason than eat the humble pie just to get it rectified, I'm going to eat that humble pie. Because I'm going to tell you, when guilt hits you like a thunderbolt and a sense of fear now seizes you and you have little reason to believe that Christ is interceding in your behalf, you've got nothing to hang on to. The only thing that's going to take us through is, the, is our faith clinging to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something. How many of you remember reading early writings, the great vision of the journey that the pioneers took? Remember they went on their wagons? And remember, they traveled, they had their wagons packed up to the gilders. Remember that? It was all packed up, the horses, 
two, four horses in it, and they're riding along. And the road got narrow and narrow and narrow, and they began to realize, you know what, we've got to unload stuff, man. It's not going to make it. So they started unloading things, one by little, but things, the precious things, things that they loved, things they, they adored. But they realized it's either get rid of that or fall off the precipice. So, so they got rid of them one by one. They kept going and kept going a journey. And the Lord said, man, we've got to unhitch the horses to the wagon. So they got rid of the wagon. They rode the horses. Then they, rode, they realized, oh, there ain't enough room for the horses. So they got rid of the horses. Then they started walking down, right? And they realized the path just got so narrow, so narrow, narrow, narrow. It stripped them down till they reached the precipice. And what happened? They saw, all they saw was a rope. But they looked up and they saw this rope and they noticed that it wasn't hanging on anything. It was just suspended in space. Now, you know what that represents? Listen, all earthly means have been cut off. You know what that symbolizes? Pure faith. Unadulterated faith. It's faith that has nothing else to cling on to except the word of God. And so only those who leaped out, they didn't make any sense to them, couldn't fathom, but remember, faith has nothing to do with whether you can rationally work it out. You understand that? Faith has nothing to do with your reason. Please listen to me. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence, the evidence of things, what? Not see, in other words, not known, not understood, not reasoned. I can't reason through the virgin birth. Sorry, I can't. You know what? I got faith. I can't reason through all the issues of the Godhead. Sorry, I got faith. I can't reason through how God can create a perfect world, a perfect universe, perfect beings, and here comes Lucifer. Hmm. Look, there's going to come a point we're going to have to live strictly by faith, and every earthly means is going to be cut off. What God is doing today is, I believe, this is my personal conviction, I think a shot is being fired across the bow of a ship. You know when in battle terms what that means? That's a warning shot. The next one's going to be a direct hit. Y'all with me? I think God said to the church, I know you're mostly all asleep, and I know you're practically spiritually dead. I'm going to show you how spiritually you really are. I'm going to send a crisis. I'm going to let it happen, and I'm going to show you whether you really are grounded or not. And God stepped back and let the crisis come. And when it came, sure enough, the vast majority folded up like a piece of paper. And very few realized, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong. Now, all I'm saying is I'm encouraging you, please, Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't look to man. Keep your faith in Christ. Press forward. Make things right between God and fellow man. If you've got anything, put it away. If you're not sure, do it anyway. Make it right. I mean, I'm going to tell you. I'll give you one true story, and I'm going to cut the close with this. One day I was praying, and, uh, and my conscience was bothering me. <clears throat> so I started analyzing myself. It was just, but I... It, but nothing came to my mind. And, uh, and so every day I pray, night and morning, I pray, and I, I, but my conscience was bothering me. And I said, God, I don't understand what's wrong. Finally, when I was praying, I remember one time I was praying, and, and this person's face appeared to my mind, in my mind's eye. 
And I said, well, Lord, what's, what's, what's wrong? And, and, uh, but I couldn't get a satisfaction. And, and every time I prayed, this person's face is, it would come to my mind. And I said, Lord, I'll tell you what. I said, because I'm not sure what you want me to do. I'm not quite sure. But if you want me to apologize for something I might have done that's wrong, have that person call me at my house and, and, and only say, I'd like to speak to Ray. Nothing more. I said this to my, in my mind's eye, I, you know, quietly, because Satan can hear your prayers. So I said it. I said, God, have that person call me. And my home number, not my office number, got to call my home number, and they got to ask, I want to talk to Ray. Nothing more. That's it. No more, how are you, Judy? Good to see you. God, I hope you had a nice day. No, no small talk, just that. And sure enough, I don't remember, a month or two later, whatever it was, the person called. I got the phone, talked to them. I apologized, whatever, rectified, because God brought it back to my memory. And then I told the person the story, what I just relayed to you, and they were dead silent. dead silence on the phone, which told me God impressed that person to do the very thing that I requested in prayer. I'm going to tell you, that's having an experience of the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. Even though I had to eat a lot of humble pie, and trust me, it hurt. Not an easy thing to do, but I'm sorry. Sometimes, friends, you get yourself in a mess. You got to face up to it. You got to dig yourself out by God's grace. But the peace and the happiness that came after that phone call nothing like it in this world. Nothing like it. Listen, Jesus is coming, friends. Jesus is coming. Yes, sir. With the story about him swinging the cross to the heavenly kingdom, there was a voice of someone who said, Christ is holding the sword. Yes. And that gave everybody all the time. Amen. 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 Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Story about the about your former president. <clears throat> of all the leaders in the world, he was the only one to warn the people of the dangers of the vaccine, and he's the only one who ended up dead. So, look, one and one still make two. All right, and I don't look. I, look. We could go on and on with this subject. All I'm going to say is, dear friends, come on, Jesus is coming. Let's get ready. All right? Let's keep our faith in Christ. Okay? Let us pray, shall we? Father in heaven, again, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity we have to come together to worship and to praise you for your kindness. Help us to stand faithful and true. Forgive us, dear God, where we've let you down and help each one of us to be kind, compassionate, and loving. Grant us now, dear God, a safe trip as we travel home. May, dear God, I pray the angels of the Lord keep watch. And thank you once again for the privilege of coming together to worship you on your Holy Sabbath day freely. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you once again, everybody. I appreciate the invitation. God willing, we'll see each other again, hopefully. And uh, maybe, uh, maybe on better terms. But we shall see. Only... Hey, yeah. yeah, well, God, yeah, well, we'll see. By the way, if any of you want the... Uh, I was just